Before we get into the piece, I just want to give you a warning that this podcast has everything. It has beauty, it has inspiration, but it also has death, suicide, and trauma. So if those are subjects that are troubling to you, just a quick warning before you dive on in. I think the heart of my work is how important it is to carry stories because what we tell about the world and what we tell about ourselves keeps us alive. This is Transposition, the official podcast of Exposition Review Literary Journal. Hello and welcome to the season finale of Transposition, just as hotly anticipated as the end of The Bachelor, or so I've been told. Today, you'll be hearing from J.J. Pena, one of the winners of our Change in Perspective Flash 405 contest. But Expo's contest is just one of many writing laurels for J.J. J.J. Pena is a queer, burrito-blooded writer who has won writing contests hosted by Big Earth Review, Cut Bank, Mythic Picnic, and Santa Clara Review. J.J.'s work is included in the Best Microfiction 2020 anthology and Wigleaf's Top 50 Very Short Fictions. J.J. is a 2021 Paraplus Fellow and holds a B.A. in both English and Anthropology and an M.F.A. in Creative Writing from the University of Texas at El Paso. J.J. serves as a flash fiction reader for Split Lip Magazine. Today, we'll also be joined by the judge of the Flash 405 contest, Change in Perspective, K.B. Carl. K.B. Carl lives and writes outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She is the associate editor at Fractured Lit and an editor at Flashback Fiction. Her stories have appeared in Waxwing Magazine, Matchbook, Bending Genres, No Contact Magazine, and have been nominated for the Best of the Net, Best Small Fictions, and the Pushcart Prize. She can be found online at kbcarl.com or on Twitter at kbcarl. This is how I want you to remember me. My grandmother's name tastes like chilled Coca-Cola whenever my dad mentions her. I can't conjure the same as him. When I remember my grandma, I think of our last phone call the day before she passed, where she told me in between sobs, I don't want to die. My dad tells me I should take refuge in the good, that I can't dwell on sadness. It's all about your heart. Your grandma's a gentle roar in there. Remember that. He used to cry over her death like me, but grandma told him not to be sad. She came to him in a dream, in a silk nightgown, with shooting stars as eyes telling him, Look at me. This is how I want you to remember me. I'm happy. Ever since then, I've wondered if the dead give goodbyes. Maybe that's why my sister woke me at three in the morning, sobbing, dreaming about her ex-girlfriend. She was FaceTiming me from her car. She looked so beautiful. Her eyes were a pond of stars. She did that for me, so I could remember her this way. My sister didn't have to talk about the other way. How we found her ex-girlfriend dead in the back seat of a car. Plastic tied around her ex's head, eyes shut, jaw slack, tongue falling from mouth, inching away 
from the death, already cannibalizing her insides. KB, JJ, thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm so excited. It's always fun when we have an editor outside of Expo on the call today. And so, KB, I really, really loved your prompt for Change of Perspective. Can you talk about what inspired that theme? I'm always on the hunt for different ways to tell a story. And I think one of the ways that is most often pushed to the side is the point of view of a character in that we always jump into telling a story from a human perspective because I feel it's the easier perspective to take because we are human writing from our own perspective or writing from our narrator's perspective based on experiences that we have experienced. So I wanted to really delve into a new way of storytelling and exploring how maybe your cell phone is witnessing a breakup and your cell phone is the one that you have to be the one to receive empathy from your audience. And how do you build on that? How do you empathize with the machine? We all have these connections with our machines, especially now during the times of COVID when we're using Zoom, we're on our computer, we use our cell phones, we're connecting through our electronics. So really, how does our relationships build, especially through the eyes, let's say, of our machines, of our animals, of a piece of fruit that's been there for too long and is starting to rot? How do you tell that story? I love that. I often think about what my car thinks of me being an Angelino and being (laughs) in traffic. I was like, I don't want to know what this Corolla has to say. Especially when you're starting to look for a new car. It's just like, do I let my car know that it's time? So JJ, I noticed through your micro, which I loved, I adored so much, is that you use a lot of sense memory and that you build memories based on the five senses. And I'm as drawn to how you describe the grandmother and that her name has a taste, which I thought was fascinating, and that she has stars in her eyes. And I'm wondering if you could speak about how you selected these different descriptions in particular and how you base them on these characters in your CNF piece. So this goes back probably to answer this, I have to talk about like flash in general for me. For me, the reason why I love this form so much is because my memory is never continuous. Like whenever I see a lot of memoirs, I'm like, how do you remember this stuff? Like, how can it be sustained for pages and pages? But for me, all of my memories are fractured. And maybe because I have a lot of trauma, I don't know, like we could turn this to a therapy session. But for me, all I have when I close my eyes and I think of things are qualities of a memory. For instance, because I've just been thinking about this a lot, is one of my earliest memories is staring like in the backseat of a car, my face is to the like the backseat window, and I'm staring at my mother's boyfriend at the time, holding a gun to my dad's temple. I don't know anything that happens after that moment, but that is one of the only memories that I have. And the thing is about that memory is I don't have any emotions. All I see is my dad have his chest puffed and uh, my mom's boyfriend screaming at him and my dad saying, go ahead, shoot me. And for Flash, what I try to do is to try to encapsulate that feeling, that moment. That's all I can do is that quality. And that's kind of what I tried to do in this piece. And for me, it's my grandma. What kind of quality does she have in that memory? And that phone call, for instance, that I had with her the day before she died is that she's crying, but also she was drinking Coca-Cola. So that's the quality that it had 
And so when writing this piece, that's kind of what I envision is I close my eyes and I don't know what we were talking about before anything of that phone call with my grandma. I just know I remember it feeling like Coca-Cola and I'm pretty sure she did. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's something that she would drink sometimes. And my grandma was very spiritual and really religious. And I'm not a religious person at all, but I would like to believe so that she's right. Like that's how I always internalize and try to rationalize my beliefs about the world. And so when I see my grandma and later on, I also see the character in the story who is my friend who committed suicide and my sister's girlfriend or ex-girlfriend. We see her with eyes full of stars, basically. And it's because of those spiritual aspects that my sister have and my grandma have. It's those qualities that I try to put in my work. I don't think I can ever get the essence down of anyone or anything, but I just try to get the quality of the memory. Because for me, for Flash, in a lot of ways, everything falls away. Like a piece of Flash for me can only hold on to a moment, a feeling. Because I never really intended to write Flash. Because I love young adult fiction and I love science fiction and that's what makes my heart like beat. Those are what give life possibility for me at least. I feel like, well, we all are writers in some way. Writing gives possibility, not only for like ourselves, but for the universe. And that's kind of why I always loved those genres. But for me, Flash feels very real. <laughs> Maybe because I'm also a nonfiction writer now, which I never thought I would be. But <laughs> I think that it's really distilling kind of these lived experiences in the very small form. And I think that there's a beauty in that because so much about life, so much about living is fleeting. And how, how can we translate on the page in these small forms? Yeah, I love that. And that's something that I found was so interesting in your piece is that this is a nonfiction piece, but to me, the way that you write it, there's so much connection. You can see those kind of fiction roots about like you were just saying, like memories and fragments, but you're also in a way creating these stories out of reality that truly like the title of the piece, this is how I want you to remember me. And so you're taking ownership of reality in a way that I think is just really powerful to see. And I hadn't thought of before I was reading. Yeah. Something that I noticed about my work is it's really invested in storytelling and the idea of myth. People are myth. The stories that we tell are myth. And I think the heart of my work is how important it is to carry stories because what we tell about the world and what we tell about ourselves keeps us alive in a lot of ways. And I think about that a lot because my friend that killed herself, she didn't have a lot of stories at least. And this is like the crux of my collection is exploring this, this death, this suicide, this grief, and just remembering because not to get in a therapy session, but it's like being queer, being brown, being non-binary on the spectrum, whatever. There's so much trauma with just the dangers of being and existing. And that's one of my friends, actually, who's Saul Hernandez. He's a fabulous poet. That's one of the titles of one of my favorite poems by him. And I just carry that line with me so much because there are literally just dangers of being every day of leaving your house, of just existing. And <laughs> it's just really difficult to really be out in a lot of ways in public and being visible. There's so much violence that occurs. And I really try in my work 
and maybe this might go off topic, but I used to think of myself as a trauma writer because my friends would be like, what do you write about? And I'm like, oh, trauma. <laughs> and then I'd be like, oh, wait, this is sad uh, because all of my work deals with that. And maybe that's because I explore grief, I explore suicide, et cetera. But then I really realized the heart of my work is not just trauma, but it is those storytelling that we give to each other because that's literally how we stay alive. We carry so much, like we're so heavy. Like, how do we do this every day? We just do. And we do because we absorb each other's stories. And some of us, it's familial. And some of us, it's from friendships or a lot of it is media and consumption. Because oftentimes, so many things about my life, I'm like, okay, I I witnessed this in some TV show or whatever. And because of that, this is how I can try to process this. For instance, I actually wrote a piece about Cloud Atlas and I watched it with this character that is dead in this story that I wrote about with my sister. And there's a scene in Cloud Atlas. I don't know if any of you have seen it. There's a lot of problematic things in it, but I just remember watching it with my sister and my friend. And there's a scene where one of the guys finds his dead lover in a bathtub and he's just holding them. And it's just like cradling them to their chest. And it's like, I witnessed that with my sister finding a dead body like that of someone that you love so much. And so even though it's traumatic, but it's like you have some kind of reference point and that kind of helps you just to navigate through life because again, it's so difficult. I actually just read this book the other day and it's titled, When Death Takes Something From You, Give It Back. And one of my favorite lines basically in there says like, one of my hopes is that what you gave to me I can give to someone else and it will grow in them and then they'll be able to give it to someone else. And I love that idea because, and again, that's how stories work and that's how people work and how we are constantly moving inside each other in so many ways. And whether or not we know it, that's the impact of our words and our actions. And I just really love that. For me, that's how I survive because otherwise I wouldn't without my friends, without these stories. I was so mulling over all of that. There were so many great lines like, gosh, reading the story as a myth and then writing yourself into a piece and exploring familial connection. And I feel like there's just so much craft lessons in what JJ was saying. And I wish there was time to just like take every tidbit and like turn it into a craft lesson. It's like, oh my goodness. I also teach. I love language and I love playing with it. And I... I don't feel like this is one of my most playful pieces, but I do know a lot of people ask me in this piece, why don't I use capitals, for instance? And I didn't really know why I started to be really hesitant to using them. And I think that when you experience a lot of grief or like when I started writing Flash and we talk about using punctuation rhetorically, or that's what we teach in a lot of ways on semantics and stuff. And so for me, when I would use capitals, they felt really violent, which was really weird. But for me, it just felt like that so much, especially with memory and these quiet memories and these tender moments. I wanted them to be really silent. And so getting rid of those capitals kind of really allowed for me to do that in a lot of ways, because on a page, how can you make silence loud? I think of this a lot. And I think that is one of my main objectives in writing. Because sometimes I know I have loud language, but I really like these moments to be really distilled and again, quiet. And I used to think that that was such a bad quality of writing or 
as a trait because I'm very silent in a lot of spaces besides obviously what I wear or what I dress. Like that's the most loud thing about me, which would get me in trouble sometimes. Because again, that means being visible. That means possible violence. And that's my eccentricity. But in a lot of spaces, I'm just quiet and I observe. And we live in a society where that's not really a good quality to have because it's especially with women. If women are quiet, they're meek, like they're not strong. You don't have an opinion. Same thing with a lot of academic spaces that I would be in. Like if you're quiet, you don't know anything. What can you contribute? How are you intellectual? But with poetry and with flash, I have found so much power in silence because what is white space in a poem? It's silence, you're competing against it. For me, I try to do like my one paragraphs because I love just seeing it visually of all the white space. Like usually it's just like centered and I see just white space around it. And like, that's it. Like it's just small, it's by itself, it's quiet. And so like, I'm just like, oh, look at how much power that has into it. And I know that that just like goes with capitals. That's so interesting too, what you say about using capitals. You were talking earlier about memories as fragments and they don't really have beginnings or ends. And it kind of feels like that filters in with the capitalization as well. So it's cool to see that part a layer into. And again, what a great encapsulation of Flash about allowing silence to have its space when in so many times as writers or as podcasters, uh, you know, you're talking a lot. I'm getting back to the questions. I like the juxtaposition you have between the grandmother and your sister's ex-girlfriend and how you distill that into the micro. And I'm wondering if you could talk about your process in picking and choosing that juxtaposition, how it came to converge like that. Because as a flash writer, we have up to a thousand words, but as a micro writer, we have around 200 to 300 words. And then you have a paragraph. So, which is like a hundred words and you have these two characters, the grandmother and the ex-girlfriend. And then you have also all the senses you build in. Plus what I also found fascinating was your different ways in discussing grief. Cause we know that there will be tears involved. You have difference in tears between the tears your father shed versus the tears that were shed when the ex-girlfriend passed. I'm wondering how you managed to pick and choose which moments to focus on in this micro. I think this goes back in a lot of ways to how my memory works. And it's like those moments of what lingers with you. And I think those are the moments in a lot of ways of what lingers in memory. Because like I said, memory is fractured. And so I was initially drawn to those things. And I think that in a lot of ways, when we discuss death and grief, it's very loud. It's very violent. And these scenes are in a lot of ways violent. But the actual state of dying is so quiet. It's very silent. I have another piece that I wrote about, and it's about the ex-girlfriend, but also my uncle Johnny. And I was in the hospice room when he decided to quit dialysis. And I was in the hospice room when he died. And the only difference between a living body and a dead body is one with air. And I just watched him take his last breaths and that was it. There was nothing dramatic like we see in the movies. And the same thing I imagine was with my grandma and with my friend. And so in a lot of ways I'm taught or have been taught to find tenderness and violence because there's that duality in people even if we're violent with each other, it doesn't matter. We still have those soft moments and how to be that. 
And I think about that a lot with my own family and like my father, who's very stern, very hard. And so whenever I write about people, I try to think of those kind of qualities. And so for this, it was my grandma coming back in a dream. And it was also the ex-girlfriend coming back in a dream. And it's both of those qualities and how they're both different. One is to just like calm grief. And the other is to try to change a memory, to try to change your last interaction with someone. And honestly, when I wrote this, I didn't realize I did that. Maybe it's instinctual or unconscious, but it's like those juxtapositions just occur. In a lot of ways, I write to try to figure out how I feel about situations. And I feel like that's what this micro for me gets at the heart of, because it's trying to endure this violent act, but also trying to find, again, that tenderness in it. And what does that mean? And for me, like I said, I'm not religious, but I would like to believe that maybe people do give goodbyes and maybe it's conscious or not. And that's what I hope for. And I hope for it in a lot of ways because that helped. I can see how that helped my father. I can see how that helped my sister. And for me, I'm still waiting for that dream to get closure or again, to help with that ache and that loss. Sure, I just want to comment on the exploration of familial values through writing and how important it is to explore that, especially through dreams and what might be memory, might be imagined. And I love, JJ, that you talked about how people can be transformed into myth, that they're never really gone. And I've tried to bring that to my writing as well in writing about my grandmothers, because I was fortunate enough to have three, two biological, and then one adopted. My age now, won't spoil my age for anybody, but my age now telling those stories differs from like five, six-year-old KB who was like, remembers carrying a big loaf of bread, which now is not so big, but a big loaf of bread and trying to like balance it in a grocery store, trying to keep up with this long-legged woman. And so I love that you're able to incorporate so many of your family's memories and explore trauma and explore how grief impacted you, impacted your father and impacted your sister through these different events. And I just applaud you on a excellent piece of creative nonfiction. I'm looking forward to your collection. I'm looking forward to pre-ordering and buying and all your collections and books. I'm ready. Just send me the link and I'm ready. Okay. In five years, when this finishes, <laughs> I will definitely do that. <laughs> JJ, you read for Split Lip, so you are also a reader. And KB, obviously you judge for our contest and are a reader. What leaps out to both of you about a piece, what gets you really excited when you're reading and makes you kind of just sit up on the edge of your seat? I guess this goes to kind of the heart of my writing and it's heart and it's risk. If I don't care a lot about something, I can't write about it. And I know that that's really bad. But one of my friends told me, they're like, yeah, you just get whatever emotion you have and you just spill it on the page. And I really like that idea. And maybe that's because I love poetry so much and I feel like poetry has that risk, it has that heart and that tension. And so that's kind of what I look for in any kind of work. And that's kind of how I view it. And so like, if I encounter a work like that, I see how they're using style intentionally or not. And that's something that I really love to witness, especially as a reader for Split Lit in particular, where I read for still. 
That's one of my favorite qualities is like trying to figure out kind of the crack and the code to a writer's style. But what I look for when reading is I look for quirkiness in writing. I love a story that just takes what we're used to and flips it on its head, whether it's switching gender roles, which I especially love. I love a strong female character that wears the pants and I love a male character that's not afraid to wear a dress and combining those gender roles and exploring new ways to define a family. I also love playing with structure. In my example is Vagabond Mannequin, and which was published in Jellyfish Review and taking puzzles and I call them paper scraps of our lives and receipts and library cards and things like that and imagining new ways to tell the story. So when I'm reading for Fractured Lit and flashback fiction, I'm looking for a writer who's not afraid to push boundaries and discuss what a lot of people might not want to discuss, explore different ways to talk about humanity in ways that we haven't done before. And if it doesn't all have to be new, like we all know, for example, we've all felt lost continuing with the theme of JJ's story and how that feels, but we may not be able to experience in the way a narrator has experienced it. For example, if the narrator was not actually there when the loss happened, they're coming into the moment like during the funeral or after the news has already been announced or they're hearing a phone call on a recording that's a voicemail, how does that impact the narrator differently than actually being there and witnessing that moment? That's the moment I'm most drawn to is how that experience impacts the narrator. How do they feel that loss differently than if they were there in the first place? And that's the kind of stories I'm particularly drawn to. Love that. And it really ties in with change in perspective overall, but it's just a, it's a larger perspective in changing your perspective. Well then, for both of you, I want to hear and our readers and listeners want to hear, where can they find more of your work? What's coming up for you? And feel free to shout out all your shout outs. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram. My Instagram is Booty Shorts Jesus because that's just who I am. I used to wear booty shorts a lot. My website's super easy where I try to keep everything up to date. It's just jjpenya.com. I think I have eight pieces coming out this year, I think, so far. That's great. And so when these pieces get published, they can find on your website or by following your Twitter? Yeah, both them both, yeah. Yeah, so I'm at KB Carl everywhere on all social media. And you can find out more about my publications, upcoming events. Mostly it's just publications, kbcarl.com. And on September 19th, I'll be teaching a workshop through Retreat West, which is virtual. It's entitled The Narrative Mystique, Embodying the Unexpected Narrator in Flash. So perfect workshop to go attend after listening to this podcast. And shout out, KB, to your piece. What's your one about the grandma? Your grandma yells at the Price is Right. My grandmother picks fights with the contestants on The Price is Right. I'm surprised, honestly, that Bob Barker has just not messaged me and told me that he loves the piece as well. So I'm a little bitter with Bob Barker, as my childhood self was, that he has not reached out. But maybe he'll hear this podcast and like, hey, hey, KB. Love it. JJ, KB, thank you so, so much for being on today. This was truly an amazing conversation, and I cannot wait to share it with everybody out there. Thank you so much. Oh, this has just been so much fun. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you.
You can find JJ's piece along with the other winners from the Change in Perspective Flash 405 contest on our website. You can also find JJ's piece in our first ever chat book, Composition Rear View, which is available for purchase through our website. That link, along with the links mentioned by JJ and KB, are available in the podcast description. And with that, we've reached the end of Season 2 of Transposition. Submissions for Volume 7 are going to be opening up soon, so make sure you're following us on our social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, basically anywhere you can find us. And if you've liked anything that you've listened to this season, anything you've listened to last season, go ahead and spread the word. Literally. Go ahead and write us a review, share this podcast or our journal or our pieces with your friends and family, anything to help our contributors get a little more seen by people who would love to read their pieces. And feel free to write us some comments or suggestions for season three. But until next time, good night and good reading. Exposition Review is a fiscally sponsored project of Fractured Atlas. Find out more at expositionreview.com. Intro music is thanks to Mitchell Evenson.